Okay, let us learn together a little bit of Amuna. You can always use a little Amuna, right? So, okay. So there was a great Torah leader in America. I, uh, I was exposed to him early on uh, because of the famous biography that I don't know if it's popular anymore, but it should be. Uh, there was a book called All for the Boss. You read it? Nah, a little bit of it. One of my babies talked about it. This is uh, Yaakov Yosef Herman. He looks like a big Rosh Hashiva. He was a big tzaddik, but he was actually a furrier by trade. He, was, uh, he sold fur coats and uh, fur items in the Lower East Side of New York. And he was a very big tzaddik. He, uh, he was a very big machnes ayrach. He invited a lot of guests uh, to his house, like dozens of guests every Shabbos, even throughout the Depression when he lost his money and uh, things were very tight. Uh, he still understood that this was his mission. He still had to invite guests. And his daughter, Ruchama Shane, who was Nifteris a few years ago, she wrote a, a biography about her father called All for the Boss. I believe we have it downstairs in the library. And it's, uh, at the time, it was a classic, as it deserved to be. This was like probably one of the first, you know, English biographies of a Gadol uh, to exist. Like, I think it was even like pre-Arts Girl biographies. This was a biography that was published by Feldheim. And it was, it made a very big reshim on a lot of people. Uh, And he was, uh, him and his wife together really changed the face of American Jewry through their uh, and through a lot of the Messiris Nefesh that they had in changing the status quo. When they were in America in the early 1900s, America looked very different than it does today. And even like Orthodox shuls uh, had different things that today most, if not all, would not have. Like, for example, uh, they used to do fundraisers and they would have uh, dinners, yeshiva dinners with mixed dancing. And uh, Rabbi Yaakov Yosef was very against that. He felt it was very wrong for yeshiva or for a shul to have mixed dancing at their dinner. And he would, like, we might just go uh, tisk tisk and, like, you know, terrible, but, like, he would actually go into the dinner and start protesting out loud, or he would uh, walk into a shul that maybe the mechitza wasn't the right size and start, and they physically threw him out, but Eventually, he, he would also walk up and down the, the boardwalk on Coney Island in Brooklyn um, with signs on him saying that Jewish girls should not uh, go swimming you know, with uh, non-immodest clothing or, or mixed swimming, whatever it was. But he, he actually, you know, at great personal cost, um, went and tried to change the status quo in America. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that he single-handedly did it, but he definitely made a ripple that eventually turned into the waves that did change uh, the, the the status quo in America. And a lot of the things that we take for granted uh, were still, in a, you know, were, were not to be taken for granted back then. And it was him and people like him that really changed 
uh, change the way uh, America looks. So there was one quote in the book, in this biography, uh, and it described how when Charles Lindbergh embarked on the first nonstop solo flight from New York to Paris, the world anxiously awaited news of this historic event. Rabbi Yaakov Yosef, it was a big deal. Charles Lindbergh uh, was somebody who attempted to fly across the sea. Today we take that for granted. Of course he could fly across the sea. But then uh, in the years, um, in the year, it was 1927, um, it was still like a chiddish to, to fly nonstop to Paris. Um, he flew a thousand miles through snow and sleet. And he landed in Paris after 33 and a half hours. That was a long, long flight back then. Uh, and then, of course, everything sped up, and they, they were able to, the planes were not then what they are today. So it was like a little propeller jet, I guess, and it was a big risk. And anyway, the whole world was watching to see whether this Charles Lindbergh was, you know, a good looking young man. Uh, the whole world was very uh, into uh, seeing whether or not he made it. So the morning that, after, the, after he had landed, Rabbi Yaakov Yosef ran into his house waving the newspaper with a glaring headline hailing his successful landing in Paris. Here I put a copy of the New York Times that day. Lindbergh does it. To Paris in 33 and a half hours, flies a thousand miles through snow and sleet, cheering French, carry him off. So... Um, that was the, uh, the headline. And he came in, Rabbi Yaakov said, he made it. He then sat down in his chair and absorbed the significance of this for the Jewish people. When you read a newspaper, just parenthetically, it's not always just to be taken, you know, at face value. But great people, G'dayli Yisrael, uh, when, whenever they see any news item, they try to take Musa from it. Like, what, what, how is this speaking to me? What did Hashem uh, do this for? Why did Hashem allow this? What, what's the takeaway for, for Hashem or Torah Mitzvahs? So he sat and, and tried to understand this. He said it was not merely a great aeronautical achievement, but it reinforced his amuna in the master plan of Mashiach's arrival seeing the airplane as the vehicle through which the ingathering of the Jewish people from Gullus will be carried out. We know that uh, the Pasuk says that the Esa Eschem al Kanfei Nisharim, that I will carry you on wings of eagles, and Vavi Eschem Elein, I will bring you here. So back then in Mitzrayim, uh, I don't know exactly you know, how that looked, but uh, in terms of like the future promise of Mashiach, and you wonder like, how is that going to be? How, are, how is Klai Yisrael going to get from all the parts in the universe to Eretz Yisrael when Mashiach comes? And I think it's going to be very soon. So we have airplanes. Airplanes might be the wings of eagles that, uh, that the Torah that, that the foresees. And I always think, you know, when I go to Ben-Gurion Airport, that it's like a massive airport. If anyone's been there, I'm sure you probably all of you have. Uh, it's they built this massive airport, and you wonder, like, why do you need such a big airport? Like, what you know, there aren't that. It's a small country, 
Uh, there's not a mil- it's not like you're flying into London or Paris or, or Moscow. It's a small country. And then I think like maybe there's a need for this big airport because someday when Mashiach comes, there's going to be planes coming from all over the world, landing you know, at the same time. They need a lot of runways, a lot of tarmac, a lot of, a lot of airport in order to host all of these uh, incoming in-gatherings of the Jewish people. And so this is like an example of how a person with a muna has to always try to see everything as, you know, through the eyes of Hashem and trying to speak out about how Hashem's master plan could be used in certain, you know, as such. And that's part of, the, the Chavetz Chaim used to always do this whenever he saw new inventions. He would speak out about what the Musar Haskels, what's the takeaway? Why did Hashem allow uh, the telephone or the telegram or, uh, uh, you know, things like, or the, he would say, uh, you know, the, that the telephone teaches you that if you speak over here, your words are heard over there. Meaning if you speak Lashonara, then... Hashem hears everything that you're saying. He's recording everything that you're saying. That's a musr that's taken from the phone. And the telegram, um, which is how... You guys know what a telegram is? In the olden days, before they had phones or faxes or emails, uh, they had to... Uh, you had to go to a like a local post office. And I, believe it or not, I used to do this when I was in Israel. I wasn't there 100 years ago, but it was... I, I, you go to a post office, and if you didn't want to make a call home, you didn't want to wait for a letter, and you wanted to like basically send a, a message that should come quickly. So um, my father, Oliver Shalom, had in his house, for business purposes, he had a telex machine. A tele, it's like a sort of like a telegram machine. So I was able to go to the post office, send uh, a telex, and it would send it to my father. He would get it in, in the house. And the way it works with a telegram is that you, you pay for the word. You pay per word. And, and, at this, and there's no periods, there's no periods, so it just said stop. So that's the way it was. So if you see old telegrams, you see that, that the, the person sending it were very, very uh, economical when it came to the words. Like they didn't use extra words. There's no... When you're writing an email, you know, you can use as many words as you want. You don't pay for it. But then, so you had to, like, really, like, cross out any extra words. And, like, it was almost like sometimes a riddle that you had to figure out. But that's the way it was. Chavetz Chaim said that that teaches you that you you pay for every word. Every word has a cost, and you have to pay for it. So these are examples of what the Chavetz Chaim saw in technology. Uh, But Rabbi Yaakov Yisrael saw the airplane and the ability to fly overseas as a, as a precursor for Mashiach's arrival. And we should always do this. Whenever we see something, you know, we should always uh, take it as an inspiration that maybe this is what will bring Mashiach. I know that you know, our minds are and our hearts are in Eretz Yisrael, and you see like what's going on and the, uh, the terrible, on one hand, the, the terrible devastation that's going on, uh, the amount of soldiers, Rahman al-Islam, that are dying every day, and of course the 12, 1,300 people that were slaughtered on October 7th, and the hostages, the hundreds of hostages, and your heart breaks for that. Um, on the other hand, you also see the tremendous achdas that has ensued from this event. 
and how, and I just I spoke about it, Shalashudas, but how, you know, in Eretz Yisrael there is a, a feeling of achdus like never before. And Hasidim and secular and, and Zionistic and everyone, they're dancing together, they're hugging each other, they're helping each other, they're making tzitzis for the chayalim and putting on tefillin uh, and, uh, for the army and, and, and sending over packages. And so there's a love that's really developed between all factions of Kal Yisrael. And that, I think, is not, you know, it's not taking too big a risk to say that this might be the, the, the beginning of the end of the Gullus. If, if we could really maintain this, uh, this achdus and this love and this benad mochaverai and get rid of the sinas chinam that has pervaded our, our societies for all too long, then this is perhaps the way that Mashiach is going to come. It's only going to come through a spirit of achdus if, if Eretz Yisrael, if the Chorim Beis HaMikdash took place because of sinas chinam, as is known, it, it will only be rebuilt with Avas Chinam, and we're beginning to see that Avas Chinam um, before our eyes. I think as a, a good segue from there into the next piece, Rav Shlomo Zaman Arbach was a, um, he lived from 1910 to 1995. He was my Rosh I, I studied in Kal under him, um, and he was uh, an amazing terror leader. He was a brilliant Paisik. He was a uh, he knew everything. He knew Kal Kula on the back of his head. I remember when he was giving shear and he wanted to look up a Gemara. So let's say we know, let's say we're learning Psach uh, Kedushan this year. And and we want to look up a Gemara on uh, I don't know, on, on Nun Zion. So how would we flip to the pages? We would look at the top of the pages where it has the page numbers and look for Nun Zion and that's where the page would be. I remember when Shlomo Zaman was looking through his Gemara to find the page, he looked at the bottom lines of the Gemara. He didn't need to look at the top page number. He knew the Gemara so well that just by looking at the bottom of the page, he would know automatically where, uh, where the page was that he was looking for. So he was, of course, a Paisik, one of the Paiske Hadar, one of the biggest halachic deciders of the generation, and um, and people would come to his door with all types of shilas, the the most difficult to the most simple shilas, and a lot of them are are captured in a sefer that he wrote called Minchas Shlema, which are his chubas, his responsa uh, to many many people that asked. There's other svarim that have like shorter questions that were posed to him, uh, a sefer called Valeu Lo Yibol, and many other svarim that are out uh, that describe his halachic. Um, Decisions in one of in the very last tshuva in one of the volumes of Munchash Lema of his of his tshuva sefer um, discusses what blessing should be made when Mashiach comes. It's another thing. Like if we're if we're busy with when you see this question, it's like what do you who asks such a question? A crazy question. Well, it's only maybe crazy for us because we're not living with a belief that Mashiach is going to come. Let's say you believe that, you know, now it's 2 o'clock at 2.15, you know, Mashiach is going to come, so then you better, you know, figure out what bracha to make when Mashiach comes, because it's very, it's urgent. But we don't feel the urgency because we don't really believe that he's necessarily going to come that quickly. But people that are real maminim, 
they not only look at an airplane as being a, uh, a signal that perhaps this is the way Hashem is going to uh, prepare the world for Mashiach's arrival, for the ingathering, but also a person would take it a step further and say, okay, if Mashiach's really going to come, what do I need to know? It reminds me of what the Chavetz Chaim did. The Chavetz Chaim uh, was not a wealthy man at all, and he decided, besides for his yeshiva in Radin, where he lived, he also felt that he should open up a kailal. Kailal, of course, is an institute for married men to sit and learn at post-marriage. And a kailal is a very expensive proposition because, um, you know, it, it involved, you have to give a stipend to each kailal person, you have to find them uh, boarding and for them and for their wives, and it's, it's expensive. So, but the Chavetz Chaim wanted to open up a kailal. What type of kailal did the Chavetz Chaim want to open? He wanted to open up a kachim kailal, which is a kailal that specifically learns kachim, about the uh, about Tumah and Taira and things that need to be uh, known for Mashiach comes. Because think about it, when Mashiach, now the Mashiach is not here, so what does a Pesach have to know? He has to know Hilchah uh, Shabbos, he has to know the laws of, uh, of Shechita. He has to know the laws of Taruvis, of, of, of mixtures, of Basar B'chalav. Uh, he's got to learn, you know, Hilchas Havelos, things that they teach in Smicha, sort of, and of course, Yantiv, and things like that. And, and that's pretty much all you need to know, for the most part. You know, but imagine now Mashiach is here for a second. Now there is a huge, huge problem. What's the problem? You need Paiskim that are going to be fluent and conversant and, and knowledgeable and expert, an expert in, in what? In all the things that are going to be relevant for Mashiach comes. Who knows about Tumah and Tara? Who knows about, you know, we learn it sometimes, it comes up in, in the Daf, or maybe you're learning uh, Mishnayis, and, and you get to be some, have some exposure, but Allah Maisa, to know exactly what's Tameh, what's Tar, and it's relevant now, because now if I'm Tameh, I can't go into the Beis HaMikdash, and I can't touch um, things that are Kaddish, I can't touch Trum, I can't, right? There's all types of things that you have to make sure that they stay Tar, and then what happens in the base of Mikdash itself? Who's going to pass in the Shilas about how to, how to do uh, all the Avaida, the Shechita, and the Zrika, and the Kabbalah, and the, and the, the you know, the Hazah, and the, the Efer of the Paraduma? Somebody's got to know all these Allahs. Who's going to know them? Who will think about it? Like, is there a, a Paisik in the world that's fluent? And I'm, I'm sure Rabbi Shlamazam and Rabbi Yashiv, they knew it. Ramesha Feinstein knew it, but like today, are there people that know it? I don't know. The Arach HaSholchan wrote a sefer called Arach HaSholchan HaAsid that uh, discusses all of the halachas of, of uh, what's going to be after the basement. That's why he called his sefer, which is normally called the Arach HaSholchan. He added a word, Arach HaSholchan HaAsid, the future, because when Mashiach comes, these are halachas that you're going to have to know. Anyway, so the Chavetz Chaim just said, you know what? there is a very big need for Klai Yisrael to have Paiskim to know what's going to be in terms of all these halachas, a million new halachas, Truma and Meiser and uh, Bikurim and, and Shrita and, uh, uh, you know, it, it never ends. It's, it's like half of, half of Tarsha Balpez talking about uh, Kachim and, uh, and Tomantaira, etc. So he says, you know what, I'm going to start a Kailal. And it's going to be the best kailal. 
he hired the best and the brightest minds to, to enter his kailal. People like the Panavich when he was young, people like Rebuchan Vassarman and others that were great, great people. And, and all they did all day was learn these laws that will be pertinent when Mashiach comes. This is another example of you know, how you have to not just say that you know, we want Mashiach now, but you have to live as if Mashiach is coming any minute. So this is a shayel that was put to him. What bracha would you make if now Mashiach comes and you see Mashiach out, out the window, let's say? What bracha do you make? What bracha would you make? So he rules that there are four brachas to be said. You have to make four separate brachas, says Hashem Zalman. The first bracha is Baruch Chacham Harazim, which is a bracha that the Gemara Brachas describes as being when you see 600,000 Jews. Because certainly, he says, there will be at least that many Jews accompanying Malach HaMashiach. When Mashiach comes, there's going to be throngs of Jews. Whatever we saw in Washington, they say it's 300,000. Double that amount will be the minimum amount of Jews that will be surrounding Mashiach. And you have to make a special bracha, Baruch Chacham Arazim. Blessed is the, is the one who is so smart, meaning Hashem, that he knows the razim, he knows the secrets. What does it mean he knows the secrets? He knows what's going on in every single person's mind and heart. You know, it would be very cool if I would be able to know what's going on in one person's heart, if I would have that wisdom to see you and know exactly what you're thinking and what, you know, what's going on inside of you. But imagine doing that for 600,000 people. Hashem could do it for billions of people. So when we see a, a huge gathering, says the Gemara, of 600,000 people, then we have to make that special bracha. That's one bracha you're going to have to make. Another bracha is shechalak michach masalireyav. The bracha upon seeing a general wise man. When you see a, you see a, you know, a Rav Shach, or a Balyash, or a Rav you'd make a bracha of shechalak michach masay. He, Hashem has taken from his wisdom and given it to those who fear him. There's another bracha that you make upon seeing Mashiach, which is the bracha that you make upon seeing a king. And that is He takes from his own honor, Hashem, and he gives it to people that are fearful of him. And then finally, you would make a bracha, says Rav Shem of Shachianu, Shachiena is always the bracha that you make when a, when a wonderful, exciting new event, be it a, a, a yantif that, you know, that, you're, that you're about to enter into or uh, other forms of things that are new and exciting uh, are experienced, such as wearing a new suit, etc. So Shachiena is made in that circumstance. So we see again how Gedele Yisrael, they didn't just think about um, Emuna, but they actualized it. They they took it to the next level. They would see an airplane. And they would say that airplane is is, is going to be the vehicle to bring Kibbutz Galias. They would see. Uh, they would they would discuss about Mashiach's arrival, and they would make kailos just to facilitate Klal Yisrael that there should be Paiskim when Mashiach comes to Paskin Yisraelis. And then Rabbi Zalman's case that he would actually describe in a tshuva, the last tshuva in a sefer, about the importance of figuring out now what bracha or bracha is to be made when Mashiach arrives in a Mitzvah Hashem. That should be very soon.